Hello, this is Melissa Hale, Spencer, the editor of the Altamont Enterprise, here this morning with a natural storyteller, a self-described country boy from Bern, Mike Vincent. Welcome, Mike. Good morning, Melissa. A little change in the weather again. Yeah, that's a nice one. Um, and I am hoping, since this is our Thanksgiving edition, that Mike will start us off with telling us a little about hunting turkeys. That's a very good subject, and right now it's on everybody's mind, of course. And uh, back in the uh, older times, uh, that was one of the main things that the uh, mail would always get for the family was turkeys, as you know, way back from Columbus and the rest of the the centuries coming up through turkeys is a a very uh, tasty meal. And uh, turkeys have been plentiful over a number of different uh, years, uh, and uh, now they're even more plentiful than they used to be all over the state of New York. So have you yourself been turkey hunting? Oh, yes. Not in the recent years because I, I, I'm a little shy on my health, so I don't get out as much as I used to. But, but yes, tell, I have. Tell us a little about how you hunt a turkey. I am not a hunter, so start with the most basic of facts. Is, is a turkey a, a creature that can see well and you have to wear camo or is it one of those creatures where you wear bright colors or what what does just describe a turkey hunt they're very much aware of what's going on around them they can hear very well they can see very well and i want to say they smell uh like a number of animals out there they they have a good uh, senses uh uh, uh, that at this time we only hunt the males which are uh, gobblers or toms, as they say, with a beard and and uh, quite nice, uh, plentiful uh, birds. We uh, uh, have to wear camouflage because, like I say, they can see it. The same as as deer is is a very uh, huntable uh, animal right at this time. And uh, you have a, a turkey call that will approach them. A number of hunters today, as they did in the past, had decoys. They put a decoy up because that the males are always after the females. So the decoy looks like a female turkey? Yes, yes. <laughs> or even another male because uh, they're very protective of their area. Their territory. Their ter- territory. And, yeah, they'll come over and they'll, they'll be flapping their wings at them and, you know, uh, dancing around and spreading their tail feathers out. And they're a magnificent, colorful bird. If you've ever seen one when they're strutting around, it's it's just magnificent. Yes, we have them in our yard, and it's amazing. My husband always says it's like watching guys and girls at the mall. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's... <laughs> because you know they kind of strut, strut their stuff, around. and yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So, what have you got in your hands well, there? Well, you can buy these. They have different types of uh, calls. Uh, th- this is a, a maple one that I made myself. Oh, my and gosh. And a number of hunters will make those, too. Uh, they have a mouthpiece one that you can do that. Now, you have to kind of study the bird or listen to tapes because there are different calls that the birds will call to each other or they'll call male to male or call the female or try to uh, uh, attract the male to come to see them. So I'll try a couple and, and just give you an idea.
If I were to close my eyes, I would think I was out in the field. Now, just so I can describe to people what that looks like, it's not at all what you think. You think he's blowing on something in his mouth, but what it is is two, a block of wood. Oh, he's holding up so I can see it's a hollow. It's not a block of wood. It looked like a block of wood, but he swung open the top, and it's actually hollow. And then what is that on the back side of the top piece? What is blue? Uh, chalk. You have to have something, and chalk, as you remember in school on a chalkboard, it would squeak sometimes. So that's how you can get that to go across the piece of wood. And you can see see. that's very thin there. Sometimes they're beveled or or square. The same as the the handle part is curved to make that do that. And it's just spring-loaded on the end. And uh, Now, how did you learn how to make that? How... Oh, well, you you have to be out in the field where the turkeys are, and you'll listen to them. And over the the time, people have listened to them and figured out what that is. If you're out in the field and and, and you you hear him, you know, really gobble, he's letting the other birds know that he's in the area. And if there are hens out in the field going along and he's along the edge of the woods, you might hear him uh, make a cluck to tell him, come over here to see me. (laughs) <laughs> and they come over and they see you and then what do they do well if you're well camouflaged in that and and they're so intense uh in the other uh turkeys that they don't even see you oh my and, uh, and there are a number of different camouflage uh, um, netting that's out there in front of you you can hide in a tree uh in the bushes uh, if anybody's that well camouflaged with the area that there is, if, if it's brushy or if it's tree, uh, you know, there's a number of different kinds of camouflage to do. So they don't really uh, see you unless you move. If you move just a slight bit, they know it or see or catch you. So let's say you're lucky and you get a turkey. What, what do you do with it? <laughs> How do you prepare it to eat? Uh, well, one of the things, like a number of other birds that are out there that you hunt, the pheasants, the partridge, uh, uh, ducks, uh, geese, that type of thing, you should, uh, uh, you know, um, as Grandpa used to say, you, you, you got to clean the innards out of them. So, you know, just like the turkey you get in a the store, they've already been cleaned, but there's the hole where you, you can, uh, you know, pull the... Uh, the uh, innards out of them and and do that Uh, there's two or three ways that they take the feathers off of them that you can do with ducks or geese number one you can uh, pluck the feathers off of them you can scald them in hot water and the feathers will come off easier or a number of people will just skin them you can go and take the skin off of it and just peel the uh, uh, skin with the feathers right out of it Two of the things that you have to do because there is a license to hunt them is you should have um, their feet and it shows the spurs that are on the back side of uh, the, their feet. And uh, they're to be tagged and, uh, and if you can approximate the age or where you shot them. As well as a trophy is when the turkey is uh, fanned way out that uh, they cut that off and, and, and save it. They'll have them mounted. That's been uh, very popular the last few years is to have turkeys mounted. And there are some beautiful mounts out there today. And, um, yeah, when they're in full strut, they have their feathers all fanned right out in the back, and then their wings are always pointed down. Now, um, the birds uh, have quite a lot of thick feathers, 
and uh, you, you um, as a number one would say, it only takes a couple of BBs, and you have to hit them in the head area. That's the most vulnerable area of a turkey or uh, a goose, um, you know, pheasants or partridge. Uh, especially uh, ca- uh, Canadian geese. I've, I've shot at a number of them and just got feathers because I didn't hit in the head. And one of them said the best ways to um, get uh, some ducks or geese or others that fly, wait till they start to come down the land. They put their uh, wings out and they flap to slow themselves up. Well, the other vulnerable part is, is the breast or underneath their wings. So somewhere is with a turkey, that you might see them fly or they'll be, you know, demonstrating their strutting uh, uh, abilities to the other turkeys. So Mike is holding up a picture that I assume is like for a target practice because yes, it's it is. got a picture of a turkey and then it's got, you know, the crosshairs where the best place to hit the turkey is and the head is very very small. So I would be quite a quite a sure shot to hit the head, I would think. Yeah, it's probably a little bigger than that there. Uh, the, the clubs uh, some still have a turkey shoot. And what they do is they'll shoot at that target at 16 yards or 25 yards. And the number of shots that come the closest to that circle with the X in there wins the, a prize today, which might be a turkey or more shells or, you know, a number of prizes that were given by the local uh, companies. And then you mentioned mounting um, Jim Gardner. He's our publisher emeritus. He gave me a beautiful, it was the tail, just the tail of Mm. the turkey with the feathers fanned out. And I think he put the beard, you call it the beard? That's correct. (laughs) Right in the middle. And those feathers are... They're iridescent. They're they're um, they they glow in a way that's just beautiful. That's what I say. They're a magnificent bird when you get them in the light or you see them. Yeah. And when when you've got one, and like you said, with the tail, if you have it uh, in a room in the light, and as you just very slightly move it one way or the other, you'll just see them. the The colors just stand right out. So, have you mounted? Some of the feathers yourself? Have you done done those mounts yourself? Uh, not necessarily. I make the wooden plaques. I'm a carpenter, finished carpenter by trade. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I make the wooden plaques that they mount those feathers um, to. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. really nice. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned your grandpa in passing about taking the innards out. And I know a couple of years ago I talked to you um, about how you spent your youth on your grandparents' farm on Pleasant Valley Road. And I just loved some of the stories. It's a beautiful, beautiful farm. Mary Brown lives there now. And you had just told some wonderful stories about about your youth there. Um, I'm just trying to remember one of them that I just really, really liked a lot. Um, and I'm just going to read this because um, some of the lessons... Mike learned as a boy on the farm were practical. He was told to chop wood as punishment, but loved the task. The farmhouse was heated with wood, so there was much chopping to do. He shared a trick his grandfather taught him. When you had a piece of oak or maple that was extremely hard to split, Grandpa taught me to set these aside until it got really cold. When it was ten below, you put motor oil on each side of a sharp axe and chop into it, and it would be like cutting butter. Some of the lessons were harder to learn. He often walked the farm with his colleague, Lassie. When Mike was 14, a neighboring farmer came by and said the collie had been at his sheep. 
Grandpa said, go get her. He brought Lassie to his grandfather who opened her mouth and they could see wool on her molars. I knew what I had to do, he said. He shot his dog. So those were just two really important lessons. One's very practical and one's very hard. Yes. But could you just tell us a little about what it was like living on that farm with your grandparents? Well, like you said, it's a lot of common sense. It's a lot of work. Uh, You you tend to uh, get in a routine of of what you have to do every morning or noontime or or evening. You have to be dependable and reliable to to, to be there. At that time, we were milking like uh, 10 or 15 cows and had five uh, heifers and five or six calves and a couple hundred chickens. So, you know, just like you get up in the morning and have your breakfast, they have to have theirs too. And, uh, you know, water and whatever feed you're feeding them and, and different things. And it was just you and your grandparents, so that was a lot of a lot of work you had well, to do. Well, yes, but you, you kind of get in a routine to how you can do it. And, uh, yes, um, and the thing of it is... Uh, like then, you had chores to do. We got up at 5 in the morning, and by 5.30, we were in the barn milking the cows. And get that done, I have to go up and wash up and have some breakfast. And by quarter to 8, catch the bus to go to school. And the same <laughs> when you came home. I think school got out at 3.30 back in the 60s there. And, uh, you know, again, you got to go feed the, the chickens and the calves and gather the eggs. And So there's a routine to it, and you, you really get used to it. And you literally lived off the land. Oh, you have to. Uh, anybody or a number of uh, people have large gardens today. And, uh, yes, uh, you, you need that. And, uh, of course, we uh, uh, loved the beef, so we always had veal, which is a young uh, cow-calf. And uh, if something happened to one of the other ones, we would butcher a cow or that. We always had chickens. You had lots of eggs. Uh, almost all the farmers had a couple of uh, turkeys or geese or, you know, things like that uh, to uh, fall back on and eat. And you were a hunter even then. Uh, you told me that how you used to <laughs> kill the woodchucks. Oh, yes. Yeah. Tell us about that. Well, you know, woodchucks are pretty prevalent uh, back then and not so much today, but they can be dangerous. The animals will, uh, you know, step in a hole, could break their, their ankle, their hips or anything. Uh, uh, one of the things that uh, did help me back uh, at that time, about uh, the 15 year old, that uh, we hunt- hunted them, and as to show that you were that good of a hunter or a shooter, was to, to hang them on the, the fence uh, uh, post or on the bob wire. And one day, a, a gentleman and, uh, and his wife stopped by, and he says, "Are you the gentleman that's shooting the the uh, uh, animals? I said, yes, I am. I said, which ucks are you seeing there? And he goes, yes. Now, I, I don't know what religion they were or what, but uh, or uh, they, they, they said, we eat woodchuck. I said, really? He <laughs> says, have you ever eaten? And I said, well, I've tried it because the gun club used to have a wildlife dinner, and everybody brought something that was unique to the area to eat. And he says, I'll tell you what, he says, for every one that you get, you, you clean them, you skin them, and freeze them, because I only come this way, uh, you know, every two or three weeks. He says, I'll pay you a quarter apiece for those that you get and keep for me. And so that's how I made my uh, bullet money, as they say, and uh, it was quite quite nice. And uh, they're a nice, clean animal, woodchucks, uh, um, you know, at a wildlife dinner, they eat, eat woodchucks, and yeah. 
So you mentioned in passing with that the gun club, and that's the initial reason we invited you in for the podcast is you had come into our office last week um, concerned. Um, Mike is the treasurer secretary of the Byrne Conservation Club, and um, it's having some troubles, just like a lot of organizations, social organizations these days. Many of the members are older, and there are fewer new members coming up. So, um, as I understand it, the club was founded in the depths of the Great Depression in the early 1930s. So just tell us a little about the history of the club and why it's been important to you in your life. Okay, the Burn Conservation uh, Club was... Uh started in uh, April of 1932 at one of the home of the members that uh, wanted to form a club. They had a special meeting, which they held on April the 20th of 32, where the Constitution and bylaws were drafted. And, of course, the officers at that time were uh, elected. Um, in May the, the 4th of 32, uh, and, and until July the, the 9th, the trustees had authorized the purchase of some land uh, from Jesse Wood uh, just outside of Burn, and uh, on the Burn Flats, as it's called. The clubhouse was built with used lumber, and they used gas lanterns for uh, lights at that time. The trap field had a, um, a nice area that was already cleared. They didn't have to clear that area. Um, they purchased a black diamond uh, trap uh, machine in June of 1932 for a sum of $15, which was probably pretty good money <laughs> Quite back a, then. Yeah, but a bargain and, these uh, days. There were a number of activities that the uh, people uh, that joined the club or in the communities as they were, uh, they included to, to have a fox and coon chase that was held on Thanksgiving Day in 1933. So, yes, it's a holiday today, but back then there were different events that were held at different times. So foxes and raccoons were plentiful then? And, oh, yes, yes. And, wow, and so this was, it wasn't like riding to the hounds with a fox. People were on, on foot with, how, how do you, do they, must have had dogs well, sometimes you use dogs. Uh, that's that's a better way if you want to try to get a number of them. Yeah. But like uh, the snow we've had the last couple of days, it's very easy to track some of those. If you're out and about, you can see a coon tree, and it's a special uh, pretty good-sized tree with a, a hole or a knot that's in it, and the raccoons live in that area. You can oh. see where the coons have been uh, eating or out about and their droppings. So, uh, yeah, if we as explorers would be out there, we'd find them and uh, we could get them. But, oh, yes, yeah. there was a number of uh, hunters that had dogs that were specially bred to chase uh, raccoons and, and find them. So how old were you when you first joined the club? Oh, boy, I, I was thinking about that the other night. I want to say uh, I was uh, 13 or 14. You know, it's a big thing when you're 12 years old and you become a teenager. Yeah. And we lived about a mile and a quarter away, so you could hear them uh, every Tuesday night when they shot. The, the, the gunshot would echo through there. And, of course, being curious, i get the bicycle and ride up there and, and see the people that were there. And uh, I, I knew some of them. My grandfather knew a lot. A couple of times he'd take me with the car down there. 
And, of course, one of the things at that time, they had the trap house, and that was operated by hand. Somebody had to go down in the trap house and physically load the birds on the arm that swung around through the birds Oh, the out. same way bowling alleys used to be done that, by hand. Exactly. So tell us about trap shooting and skeet shooting, just for people that aren't familiar with it, myself included. <laughs> what, what exactly is involved? Um. There are five stations, mm-hmm. and they're in a, a small uh, a circle a little bit, and um, they're at 16 yards. Um, usually there's a concrete platform that you can stand on because you want to be on something sturdy. There are different styles or techniques the way people shoot. Um, I shoot left-handed. Uh, a good number of people shoot right-handed. They can shoot with two eyes, or they can shoot with one. Um, again, over the the, the centuries, I guess you'd say, guns have improved. Uh, they used to have, uh, you know, uh, bigger shells, uh, different uh, size shot that was in them. And uh, most people use 12 gauge today, although some use 16. You sh- shoot at a total of 25 at one time, five stations, so you shoot five and move on to the next one. So what is it exactly that you're shooting? I, I looked for one today and I couldn't find it. It's today to call the clay pigeon. Okay. And uh, they're approximately that this, this big around. I don't. I didn't matter. So he's holding his hands up in a six-inch circle. Right. And, and what made, did they used to be made out of? You said. Oh well, I I have something, and I'll speak more of that towards the end with a Mr. George Fergordis. They shot real pigeons. That's why they call, they call them uh, oh. clay birds. Well, yeah. Let's dive into that history. I was looking up old stories, and it was almost a teaser that we had in our newspaper about a man named Bogardus, Captain yes. Bogardus, who was born in Bern, and he married Cordelia Deerstein in 1854. And his contribution to trap shooting is quite astounding, the Enterprise said, but didn't say what it was. So what was his contribution to trap shooting? Um, He was one of the first ones to come up with a glass ball. And in the beginning, they put feathers on the inside of those glass balls. So when they flew, uh, there there was like a, a single... A trap with a, a, a like a, a round mitt on the end of it that threw the bird out into the air, and they shot at it with their guns. And when they broke it, of course, you could see perhaps that the glass would break, but the feathers would float out and go down. So they knew they had them. He invented the trap. He invented those uh, glass balls that about the size of a. A baseball. So you would feel like you had shot a bird because the feathers would come down. That's right, because oh, previous, yeah. for a good number of, of years, they had shot real nope. live uh, oh, pigeons. Oh, wow. Uh, one of the parts that you're talking uh, about, a number of shooters started in England, and over there they use a number of dogs for hunting of almost everything, the, the foxes, the coons, uh, deer, any of that type of thing. And they, and they were one of those that had the most... Uh, uh, beautiful guns, if that's the word to use, and uh, magnificent engraving on those guns. Uh, uh, let's see. Well, speaking of magnificent, Mike has brought in a trophy, a big trophy with red, white, and blue stars and stripes, and on top is a statue of a man shooting a gun. So I'm taking it. This is a trophy that you won. Yes. Tell us about this trophy. Well, one thing first, I want to finish about Mr. Bergordis oh, a little bit. Oh, I'm so bit. sorry. Oh, okay. that's, all right. that's all right. Uh, 
Live pigeons uh, shooting began about 1825, so the sport has been around quite a few years. And then the balls and that had the feathers in them were invented in 1877, and uh, that's why they call them clay pigeons today. Uh, one of the interesting things was that Mr. Pregordas uh, shot with a number of different uh, uh, um, champion uh, shooters. And a couple of facts I even looked up this morning. In 1869, he killed 500 pigeons in uh, 645 minutes, which uh, comes out to 10, uh, 10 and three-quarter hours. He won $1,000 in, in 1869 for that so competition that was a shoot. Lot. Uh, he shot 5,000 glass balls in eight hours and 20 minutes, and, and that's... Uh, and he got 4,844, so he only missed 156 out of 5,000 oh, uh, balls there. So there's a little-known piece of burn history. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> uh, very much so. And anybody around here or even in the uh, museums or history places, he's known as the father of trap shooting. And... Uh, uh, one other thing that's uh, quite interesting, and he got so well at it that he shot uh, with um, um, Annie Oakley uh, and in Wild Bill's uh, West Best show. show. And uh, so oh, that's quite my. nice. And uh, any of the Bogortises is still around here, very proud uh, that their name is mentioned. And one of their family members was that, that well-known and yeah. traveled the world and, and, and over to Europe. Oh, that's exciting. Well, now tell us about your own fame. Um, <laughs> tell us about how you won this trophy and why it is you like to skeet shoot. Well, that's, that's an interesting thing. And a number of different uh, shooters... Uh, Oh, number one, I think, like we were talking, is the camaraderie of being there. Mm -hmm. And competition has always been um, an interest to people, you know. I'd like to be uh, second or I want to be first and different classes that they have for the shooters to do that. So that's one of the things is, uh, you know, you have bragging rights. And one of the other things that's uh, very uh, interesting is uh, the different uh, patches that you can get from the different clubs or oh, from so the company. Oh, so Mike has brought in some sample patches. They're beautiful embroidered uh, depictions of, of various things. <laughs> oh, my. This um, is your own patch, a straight trap, and it's like you're looking down the barrel of a gun, and you're, it's huge at the uh, end of it that you're looking at, and it goes straight back to the hunter's face. Yes, and, uh, you know, you can get to 25 straight or 50 straight, 75 or 100. Uh, so, yes, it's, it's so very... So that means you hit the target, the pigeon 50 50 pigeons in a row without missing that's one that's correct oh wow oh yeah. wow so you've got to kind of be skilled and you have to have to uh know the uh, range and and how the birds go when it goes out of the trap house it can go straight away it can go to the right or it can go to the left then there's two uh in between the left and the right uh, one of the things when I went down to the gun club for a good number of years and loaded the trap, that you get conscious of which way the trap is rotating from left to right. And that's called reading the trap. And some uh, sportsmen uh, uh, really get used to knowing where the bird was going to go. But there's always one at some number that doesn't go. You know, there could be two rights, uh, two straightaways, two lefts. 
and then it could just rotate and go uh, center, right, or left. So, so you've got to you be ready. You have to be ready is correct. And, and, and uh, you know, uh, right on the bird. Uh, there are different guns that are out there. They have ventilated ribs. Uh, you can make them so that they fit your shoulder. There's an attachment that you can raise them up or down so that your gun is straight, is straight pitches up or that. And I know part of your club's mission is teaching other people some of these skills. Is that? Uh, uh, yeah, um, I've always been one to uh, help uh, uh, start and, and realize what safety is. And as you learn very early on that every gun is loaded, you never point a gun at anybody because it could be loaded. And it's unfortunate that we hear about that from time to time. So the club, as well as uh, other organizations, uh, put on a, a youth uh, hunting safety program. Uh, adults go to that also. So it would be for guns. They also have it for bow hunting. You have to obtain this uh, license. Uh, through this class that you take, which is one day, like eight hours, and then you can go get your license and present it to the person you're getting your license from. And we're, our clock is winding down, but I see you brought in some other things. Uh, what Can you tell us what's on the table in front of me here? It looks like a beautiful sort of vignette of forest life. It has deer, a buck, a doe, um, and, oh, a fawn on the other side. Uh, it looks like it's a piece of wood, maybe? From driftwood. Driftwood. Mm-hmm. And tell us a little about making this. I know you're a carpenter, and you. my guess is you made this yourself. Yes, I did. Uh, a number of uh, um, people are talented in this type of means. It's a piece of driftwood about 12 inches long, mounted on a, a piece of uh, quarter-inch uh, wood. Uh, there's some little green uh, um, pine trees that are there, and of course the Snow buck covered. is most yeah little pieces, and uh, the buck's the most prevalent in there. And usually the doe or fawns or yearlings are are with them. There's a lot of people uh, uh, have uh, uh, interest in, of course, hunting and the deer. Like people with the cars, they like to have the model cars. Mm-hmm. So there are different ones. I, I make round plaque ones and put them in there. Or, Anything that's unique that uh, would look nice or uh, people, you know, really appreciate. Oh, it's just beautiful. And besides that trophy, there are a number of other uh, uh, trophies given out because, uh, as we well know, they become uh, dust collectors. (laughs) Well, you look like you have quite a few dust collectors. (laughs) So what's that one that you're holding? Okay, they they did at some stage in, in different times, they change it that uh, they give you this uh, plaque and they come in different sizes. They'll have different emblems on there. Like this one has a trap gun and a, a partridge uh, or a pigeon and a clay bird. And because there were so many uh, um, people getting straights, um, they listed them as, this says the Schenectady County Conservation Council Trap League of 2005. I shot 325s that year, and it says Mike Vincent and Byrne. A number of people... Uh, we'd have, you know, a number of 25s or a number of 50s, and um, a plaque is a lot more um, appropriate for your office, shall I say, because yeah, right. you like to be proud of it and brag a little bit. Yeah. Well, tell us, as we're kind of closing out here, why it is someone might want to join the Burn Conservation Club. What 
what is it that you get? And you've been a member for most of your life. Um, so there must be a reason that it matters to you and that you keep coming back. Well, again, it's probably the, the camaraderie of the other people that are there. I'm going to say over the years I have shot with uh, a, a number of uh, very interesting people, important people that like guns uh, shoot. It's a sportsman type uh, of sport. Uh, Burn doesn't have too much to uh, offer to them. We have the trap field. You know, we have a meeting once a month when when we can. Uh, um, other clubs, and there's quite a few around, there's so many that there's a Schenectady Trap League and a, a Albany County Trap League. And those clubs will have a large area and um, a variety of things to do. They can shoot trap, they can shoot skeet, uh, they have archery, they have pistol fields, uh, different things. So, so it's have... not just the camaraderie in your own club, it's getting to be with the other people and the neighboring clubs as well. Very much so. And uh, one of the things that uh, we, we have, and I have a hat here that uh, uh, it shows her, I'm, we're proud to say that it's the Burn Champs, and that was what, 19... Uh... 1992, 93, and 94, and it's in huge letters, Burn Champs. We're very proud of that, and, uh, you know, I have a number of other ones. So, And the same with that patch, as indicated, for 25 or 50 straight. That's one of the most sought-after patches because you can see the others just say Winchester or AA or, you know, Albany County or Schenectady County. And our trap field uh, is is a regulation, but it's one of the harder fields to shoot at. So if you can accomplish a 25, 50, 75, or 100 straight. You can go anywhere. You can probably go anywhere <laughs> to shoot. That's correct. So we, we do have, you know, uh, some things that are there at club. We've, uh, like I said, had the trap shooting uh, safety course uh, and a bow course. I've taught snowmobile safety courses at the gun club. But people like to come and talk, and uh, the old guys could tell you stories. Uh, sometime we have more time. I, I have some great stories I could tell you. We well, make, let's close whatever. out with one great story. Okay, uh, let's see. Oh, way back... Uh, Oh, boy, I want to say like 1967, I was out hunting on the Coal Hill Flats, and I heard some shooting, and I, I went to see where it was coming from, and uh, they, a couple of gentlemen, well, three of them, had shot a deer. And, uh, you know, they were talking and, and going on about that. So I went up to see what type of uh, a rack, the, uh, the number of horns that were on the deer's head, and the guys had already started to drag the deer out. Now, like with any animal, you can go with the hair or against the hair. These were, I want to say, inexperienced hunters because they were dragging it against the hair. So it made it more difficult to, to, to transport the deer across the field of the car. Plus, they did not uh, take the innards out of it, so there's a whole lot of weight that they were trying to pull or drag. And uh, I said, I think I can help you, gentlemen. I, I do know how to... Uh, Address a deers, as it's called, and and uh, help you with the weight. And uh, I didn't tell them about they should be dragging it by the horns, but they, uh, w uh, you know, had their workout. And one gentleman was the gun bearer. He was carrying the three guns because two gentlemen had to drag that deer. <laughs> so that was a very timely um, visit that you made to them. Yes. So did you have any closing thoughts? 
Um, yes, if you can join a gun club, it's a, a, a very good uh, uh, sportsman-like thing. A number of the other clubs do have uh, fishing trips. Um, they go uh, on uh, rabbit hunts. The rabbits are, are good. I, I, I had a beagle uh, from from day one up in, until about 30 years ago because I love to go rabbit hunting. They go on squirrel hunts, uh, you know, different things like that. So there's different activities that they can go and do, and um, they, they like to do with that. Great. Well, thank you so much, and we wish you a happy Thanksgiving. And the same to you, Melissa, and uh, very pleased to be here to, to uh, you know, spread the information about gun clubs, and you should join them. It's very hard today, as we well know, and uh, to have a gun or that. Uh, but I, I, I always say that it's the person behind the gun, not the gun. Thank you. Thank you.